Hey, Digging Deeper fans, this is Stu from the Inroads Podcast. Before we get you to our conversation, I wanted to share some news with you. We've started our fall donor drive, and now is your chance to get a gift for your reoccurring donation to Appian Media. Everyone who gives a monthly gift of $10 or more will be shipped this great gift. You can go to appianmedia.org slash donation to learn more and to make your monthly reoccurring donation. I'll share what the gift is a little later in the podcast. Now, let's get you to the show. Today on the podcast, we'll talk to an archaeologist who has been involved with digs in Israel. We'll ask her what a typical day looks like for an archaeologist on location, how archaeology helps verify the Bible, and even how you can get involved with digs in Israel. All that's coming up on this episode of Digging Deeper. Welcome to Digging Deeper, the podcast where we talk about the geography, archaeology, people, and cultures of the lands of the Bible. By exploring these areas, we hope to broaden your understanding of the biblical narrative. You can learn more about all of us here at Appian Media and watch our free video series at www. Before we start today, though, we do want to talk about our sponsor, Memo Marketing. Recently, Appian Media has teamed with Memo Marketing to update our website, as well as provide a number of other marketing ideas for helping us promote the work we are doing. We are happy to have them on board, and we'll say more about them later in the program. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Ms. Rebecca Dutton, who lives in Athens, Alabama, and has had a considerable amount of time that she has spent digging at least uh, three that I know of, three times in Israel. And so we wanted to invite her and ask her about some of her digs in archaeology. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're welcome. Glad to have you. How did you get started uh, in biblical archaeology? Go, go back to kind of the origin story here. All right. So um, I was a mild-mannered technical writer um, back in the early 2000s. I graduated with my BA in communications and Spanish language in 2008. And um, I worked in the technical field for a while. Um, My husband and I both did. And uh, after a while, we started wondering if that was it, if the rest of our lives would just be sitting at desks and trying to fight bureaucracy. So we started looking at Uh, graduate school, and we were focusing on history. That was really what he and I were both interested in. In 2012, we took a tour um, with Farrell Jenkins, and Barry was on that tour with us. Yeah. And we started seeing all of the field work going on in the land of Israel. It was so fascinating to see these objects coming out of the ground and the history behind them. And we started realizing, well, isn't archaeology just a sort of applied history? And so when we got home, we uh, talked to some friends of ours who had experiences with the academic side of biblical archaeology. Uh, We applied to Wheaton College. We were accepted into that. And uh, that kind of began our our academic journey into uh, the study. Wow. Okay. So you so to do that, where is Wheaton College located? So Wheaton College is uh, in Wheaton, Illinois. Um, it's about forty minutes outside of Chicago. It's actually a suburb of Chicago. Um, okay. It's, yeah. 
Okay, so we're, so so you you and uh, your husband had to move from the North Alabama area up to the Chicago area to do this. Now, were you? I mean, did they have everything there that you need? Were you able to complete the entire degree there at Wheaton? So one of the fascinating things, and one of the things that really drew us to this program, is that it doesn't start in Wheaton. It doesn't start in the United States. Um, our program actually began in June of 2013 uh, with a fieldwork experience in Ashkelon. Uh, so we had six weeks of digging in the field, getting our hands dirty, making sure that we could actually do this for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And then following that dig experience then was a study abroad semester in Jerusalem at Jerusalem University College. So it was a very strong immersion into archaeology, into the culture of Israel and the ancient Near East, right at the beginning of the program. And um, I really admired that about the program because it, it got you in quickly, got you in deep. And when we got to Wheaton, then um, we were ready to hit the ground running. Wow, that's fantastic. Now, how long does it take to get that degree? It's a, a usually a two-year degree, um, so it's not too bad. So is this an equivalent of, a, of like a master's degree? Yeah, yeah. So it, um, this would be a, a master's degree in ancient Near Eastern uh, history and archaeology. And how much of that time do you spend actually at dig sites or out of the country, and how much time would you have spent in uh, the Wheaton area? Only the first season is required. Uh, in the program, but the the professors do really encourage you to return uh, during the summers to participate in digs, just to kind of keep your experience going, keep building your repertoire of knowledge and actual physical work, um, just to give you more information to grapple with uh, in your own research. That's great. Now, have there been any uh, memorable uh Things that happened while you're on digs? Um, yes. Um, I mean, one of the most memorable things is um, just that first moment that you find a, a non-pottery artifact. Um, just that moment. For me, it was a bead. Um, I dug up a Philistine bead and stood there and held that in my hand and thought, this doesn't look a whole lot different from the beads in my own jewelry. <laughs> Maybe these people were like me. Maybe they had hands like mine, goals, dreams, fears. Um, and that really made the human connection of archaeology come alive at that moment. But there have been other non-archaeological memorable incidents. Um, in 2015, I found out that your body needs sodium to survive. Um, <laughs> and had a really uncomfortable night in an Israeli hospital over that one. Um, Trent and I were both there in 2014 when Operation Protective Edge broke out. Um, and so we got to see the international politics of a Gaza-Israeli war. Um, right. And that was fascinating. We really thankful for the Iron Dome system there. <laughs> yes, right. Um, well, you mentioned a minute ago about the the Philistine uh, bead that you found. Where uh, that that tells me that you probably were digging in a Philistine city. Where all have you have you participated in digs in Israel? 
Um, Trent and I both participated in um, Ashkelon from 2013 to when it ended in 2015. Um, we've also both worked at Telsham Roan. Um, Trent worked there at the initial survey season, and then I worked there an additional season. And um, where's where's Tel Shimron located? Yeah, so Shimron is in the Jezreel Valley, um, the northern Jezreel, just about I would say probably three miles south of Nazareth. So Nazareth is up in the the hill above the Jezreel, and then Shimron's down in the valley. All right. Anywhere else that you that you've participated in digs? The latest dig that I worked in um, just this past summer, I started at Tel Bernah uh, in the Shefela. And uh, that's a border city between the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Philistia. And so that has a different flavor from the other two sites that I've worked in so far. Wow. That's fantastic. Now, with with doing that, though, has there been anything where you look at it and you said, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this? Has there been any disappointments or things that have cropped up? I think there have not really been a whole lot of disappointments. Um, It's really been something that has become a a, a true passion. Um, And for something like that, there are occasional disappointments, but you don't really remember those. Um, I think one of the greatest challenges that that we've encountered and other uh, Christian scholars have encountered is um, helping overcome the, the church's prejudice against academia um, because that's been used as a bludgeon against the church for so long that we've kind of conceived a fear of it. And we see science and reason and faith as almost a conflict. Um, but when Christians begin taking the reins of academia and being able to, to understand and grapple with the facts that are literally coming out of the ground, then we're starting to see that archaeology and science is a tool for faith uh, rather than something to be afraid of. Wow, yeah. That's fantastic. Okay, I think we want to take a quick break because we want to talk about our sponsor that's sponsoring this podcast. But then as soon as we're, we're back, we want to talk to you more about the logistics of an archaeological dig. Sounds great. Is your business in need of a website redesign or maybe even a brand new website? We at Appy Media had that problem, and we want to take a second to tell you about our sponsor for the Digging Deeper podcast, Memo Marketing. They're a full-service marketing company that can take care of all your company's marketing needs, including websites. Yeah, when we wanted to redesign our website, we reached out to Memo Marketing, and it, it really the process could not have gone better. We had uh, some special things that we needed on our website, uh, video plugins, for instance, an e-commerce web- website, uh, and a lot of other components that were difficult to implement. But when we called Matt and his team up at Memo Marketing, they jumped right into it and gave us exactly what we wanted. Yeah, I've been very happy with our website. Not only is it a great resource for people who do Bible study, but it works great on different platforms, whether it's your iPhone, your iPad, your laptop. And so if your company is looking for a new website, check out Memo Marketing. You can learn more about them at memomarketinggroup.com, memomarketinggroup.com. Going on now through December 31st, we are running our annual donor drive here at Appian Media. That means when you sign up to become a reoccurring donor, you're going to get 
a 2023 edition coffee mug. Our donors have come to love these mugs, and some have even collected every edition. Go to appianmedia.org donation to see the mug and learn more about how you can help support the mission of Appian Media to bring biblically accurate, free content about the Bible to the world. In order to get your mug, you need to sign up for a new reoccurring donation of $10 a month or more. Make sure to check the box, Show My Support, by making this a reoccurring donation, which is under the amount box when you donate. Our team will reach out with instructions on how you can get your free mug. The mugs are awesome, probably my favorite one yet, and our donor drive is only going on through December 31st, so make sure to sign up today to get your gift. Now, back to Digging Deeper. Okay, we're back with Rebecca Dutton from uh, Athens, Alabama. She's an archaeologist, been over to Israel a number of times to uh, participate in digs all across the country. So tell me what um, a typical dig day looks like. Well, it's going to start early. Uh, Usually your alarm is going to go off about 4 a.m., Wow. Uh, Wait a minute. Hang on. I'm, I don't even think my clock has 4 a.m. on it. I don't think yours has an a.m. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. 4 a.m. Okay. Wow. Go ahead. Yeah. And a lot of this is because of the climate that we're we're dealing with. This is a Mediterranean climate, so the weather, weather is beautiful, but it's hot. Um, and most people that aren't from the deep south aren't used to this kind of heat. <laughs> uh, so you're up at 4 a.m., um, you're going to grab a, a quick breakfast, maybe a piece of toast or a cereal bar, um, hopefully some coffee. Um, and then you're going to be leaving for the field about 5 a.m. Um, so you are usually going to be there right at sunrise, which is spectacular um, to oh, be yeah. on I'm these sure. high tails. Oh, yeah. And just to see the sun coming yeah. up. So you'll be working in the field uh, until around 9.30, 10 a.m. And at that point, somebody is going to let you know that breakfast is ready. So we're hobbits. We get second breakfast. That's great. (laughs) And that's going to be a lot more of an elaborate breakfast than your piece of toast and jam. Um, So that's going to be fruit, um, boiled eggs. It's usually kosher. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not going to have meat and dairy together, right? Um, but eggs and fish don't count as meat. Yeah. So you get to have your eggs, your tuna. Um, sometimes they'll bring pastries or a hot omelet. One of my favorite things that we had at Tel Bernal was shakshuka, which is a egg, like poached egg and okay. tomato dish. Hmm. Afterwards, then. Everyone goes back to work until about 11. We have a fruit break. So everybody pulls out an apple or peach or something that they stowed away from breakfast. So you have a quick snack to kind of refresh you. And then you're usually going to be finishing up your field work around 12. And that's so that you can do a final sweep. The photographers can come in, take final photos for the day. Your GIS people can take all of their measurements. You can cart everything down to the trucks. And then lunch is usually back at your base camp at around 1. Um, some of us really like to have it at 1.30 so we can go and get a shower first, um, which is yeah. delicious at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
And then after lunch, uh, around three, you usually have pottery washing. So all of the pottery, all of the artifacts that you found over the course of the day are processed at that point. Uh, any bones are washed as well. And while everyone's washing pottery, uh, your staff members and your dig directors are going to be sitting around a table reading the pottery. We call it pottery reading, um, which is actually they're just looking at the pottery. They're giving dates for that pottery. And that could usually something along the lines of, okay, well, this is Iron Age 1. This is Iron Age 2C. As it turns out, the Iron Age has three parts and multiple letters. Right. Okay. Um, and once pottery washing, pottery reading is over, we kind of get a siesta until around four or five o'clock. Then usually there's an evening lecture. Um, so these are field schools. And so we have students, many students are earning college credit for this. Wow. Um, okay. And so, yeah. They get a lecture in the evening, and usually it's a staff member, um, and it's their area of expertise. So at Tel Berna, we heard about weaving methods um, from one of the staff members, Debbie Casuto. Um, we heard about bones from our zooarchaeologist, archaeobotanist, ceramicist, everybody with their specialties wow, going to tell that's us. that's fantastic, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah. And then dinner, and by the time dinner is done, the sunset, you're worn out. Um, and at that point, we call it the 8 p.m. push, where you're just trying to stay awake until 8 p.m. Um, and that's kind of, for, for volunteers, that's a time to just relax, cut loose, talk, um, just kind of socialize. For staff members, that's our time to collect our thoughts, finish up our final notes for the day. And then everybody wants to go to bed and, um, <laughs> because your alarm is going to be going off at 4 a.m. That's right. Wow. Okay. Now, do you all live right next to the site or are you having to be at a remote uh, location and then get bussed in? There have been some expeditions living or camping on this site. Um, I have not worked at any of them. Um, and all of the ones that I've worked with, Ashkelon, Shimron, and Bernat, we're usually staying at a kibbutz or a collective Jewish community nearby. Okay. And they'll either bus us in or there will be a group of rental cars and staff members will uh, drive everybody in. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, if I watch Indiana Jones movies or stuff like that, you know, most of the time an archaeologist is portrayed as a, as a guy going out and just, you know, it's rough in the case of, uh, you know, Indiana Jones, I guess a good-looking guy, you know, going mm -hmm. out into the field and doing all this. Um, what uh, what would you say is the percentage of women that actually participate in this over in Israel? So right now in the general field of archaeology, um, we have almost an equal ratio of men to women. Oh, wow, okay. It's really interesting, and... From every appearance, women are actually beginning to edge out men in numbers in the field. Um, and so we actually have more young women in the field right now than we do um, men. And so that's really interesting shift that we're beginning to see in um, a very dirty field. Along with the uh, men, women, how about age groups? Um, what's kind of the average person who's going to be at a dig, whether they're an archaeologist or just a volunteer? 
most of the volunteers for the field schools are our students. Um, and so we're usually looking at undergrads, so early 20s. Um, graduate students are going to be in their late 20s to early 30s. And that's the majority of people just by the nature of it being a field school. Um, but most of the, the staff, the directors are going to be in their early to late 30s or older. Um, and we, we do get um, older people in the group. Um, I don't want to say senior citizens or anything like that, <laughs> but uh, people in their 70s and 80s even uh, will be in our numbers. And That's there's neat. really a job for everybody, all age groups. Right. And so, you know, you kind of think about the idea of, uh, you know, people out there physically digging, but, you know, a 70 or 80 year old person wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, is there an assortment of jobs? I mean, let's say you were you were someone like that and wanted to go over and participate. Would they be able to find you a job to do? There is a little something for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So most most of the field work, a lot of people can participate in as long as there's not a lot of climbing. Uh, and so I've had 70 and 80 year olds in my squares working with me. I've had people with physical disabilities working with me. We find a little something for everyone. I've had 10, 11 and 12 year olds. Right. <laughs> even doing a little something. So people can always be washing pottery. They can always be helping sort and process artifacts, photographers, people running drones and technology, people making food. Uh, food that's always important yeah food those are especially welcome people yeah that's that's (laughs) exactly right now you've mentioned a couple of times in which you and trent went over there uh the two of you to dig Mm -hmm. but you've also been over there a couple times that you mentioned where trent was not able to go you know he had to stay Mm -hmm. in the united states and work or something like that did you have any apprehensions going over there as a woman especially by yourself to participate in this so there is a a stigma that a single woman traveling in the Middle East should be worried about herself. She should be afraid. But I have been more concerned about my personal safety walking through downtown Chicago by myself (laughs) um, than I have ever felt in Israel. Um, And I've walked through the old city of Jerusalem at night uh, by myself. I've walked through it with parts of tours. It's all really no different than being in New York or Chicago or San Diego. Right. Um, you just use common sense and be confident about it. Okay. Let's say, let's say Dan and I, we've decided that um, we want to go do something like this. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's someone listening out there that decides, hey, this is something I'd like to participate in, how would how'd somebody go about finding um, different places to go? I mean, you've mentioned three different places you've, you've participated in digs. Where does people, somebody go to find out information about that? Uh, so Google is one of the best resources. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you can always just Google for uh, dig opportunities. Uh, talk to somebody uh, that you know that's participated. So if somebody wanted to contact me or one of you guys, we have a lot of contacts, a lot of information about digs that are going on and looking for volunteers. Uh, the Association for Biblical Research or Biblical Archaeology Review. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have websites and pages dedicated to current digs and digs with volunteer opportunities. 
and anyone can sign up. You don't have to have any experience. Uh, physical limitations aren't a problem at the dig. We wow, that's need fantastic. as much help as we can get. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, along those lines, I'm sure you have an opinion about is biblical archaeology important and why? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I have strong opinions. I, I, I bet. <laughs> so go ahead and share some with us. <laughs> so one of the, the things that we, we talk about with biblical archaeology is we would love to be able to prove the Bible is true. We would love to find that if you pardon the expression, the holy grail right. of biblical artifacts that would leave no doubt in someone's mind that the Bible is God's word with, with certainty. But we haven't found that yet. And so we can't say that we use biblical archaeology to prove the Bible is true. But what we use it for is to make the Bible real. And so when you're looking at this pottery, when you're walking the land of Israel, the Bible transforms from words on a page to living 3D color. So you can visualize the Philistines. You can visualize the earthenware pots that Rebecca would have been watering Abraham's camels with. Mm -hmm. um, you can begin seeing what the people of the Bible saw, feeling the dirt beneath your feet and in your fingernails and your hair. And so... For us, the Bible helps bolster our faith in the fact that it's no longer just a floating world. It's no longer events outside of reality, but it happened in a period of Earth's history, and it really happened in a real place with real people. And that's what makes it so fascinating, is that it comes alive. Right. Well, I've heard it referred to before that biblical archaeology illuminates the Bible. And I think what you just said describes that definition so, so well. Hmm. But, uh, well, Rebecca, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We really did enjoy it. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. We may have to have you on some other time too. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. As we think about the field of archaeology and specifically biblical archaeology, we need to realize that most of what is out there is not excavated. That takes a lot of time and money, and there's a substantial amount of material out there. I have read that it has been estimated that there are over 25,000 sites with connections to the Old Testament period. Not all of them are even specifically mentioned in the biblical text. Yigdil Yadin estimated that it would take 500 years to excavate Hatsor completely. That's a city that he has been involved with, 25 acres in the upper city and 170 acres in the lower city. During our filming with Searching for a King, archaeologist Gabrielle Barkai mentioned that Jerusalem is a black hole. Specifically, there has been very limited excavations. Despite the limited information, what is excavated and uncovered has only helped to confirm the biblical narrative. Archaeologist Nelson Glulek has stated, I've excavated for 30 years with a Bible in one hand and a trowel in the other. And in matters of historical perspective, I have never found the Bible to be an error. He also stated, As a matter of fact, however, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. The Bible is not a science book, an atlas, or even a history textbook. But when we look at these areas in the Bible, we see it as accurate. 
if the Bible states a location or a historical happening, we can rest assured that it is where and happened when the text claims. Archaeology keeps confirming the Bible story. We don't have to fear study and exploration. The more I read, the more my faith is strengthened. The field of archaeology should build our faith as it is constantly proving the biblical text is accurate. Digging Deeper is a production of Appian Media. We're a nonprofit media production company that's 100% crowdfunded. If you're interested in learning more about how you can support Appian Media so we can continue to create more great free content, visit us at appianmedia.org diggingdeeper. If you'd like to reach out to Dan or myself, you can do so via email. Dan's email address is dan.kingsley at appianmedia.org. And my email address is barry.britnell at appianmedia.org. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions that you may have. Special thanks to all those Appian Media members who are behind the scenes to help put this episode together. And in particular, we're thankful for those who have supported us in the past and continue to do so. Join us next time as Dan and I discuss our favorite places to visit while visiting the lands of the Bible. It's going to be exciting because we're not going to reveal what our list looks like until we're on air together. So join us for the fun. Until then, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you on the next episode of Digging Deeper. Digging Deeper.